All right. Hey, everyone. Andy Kay here. I help to manage these meetups behind the scenes, and I'm going to give a brief introduction before I turn it over to Andrew. Thank you, everyone, for joining us live, and welcome to our 32nd virtual weekly hangout. Just a reminder that we leave plenty of space in these meetups for discussion and Q&A. So if you have questions for Andrew, or if a question is sparked during his talk, you can use the raise your hand feature. And at the right time, I'll give you the audio to ask your question. Or you can type your question in the chat section. And at the right time, I'll read your question to Andrew. And we're also trying out something new today. We, we are trying out a transcription service. So you could actually follow along with the transcript live. So how you would do that is you'd click the red live indicator. It should be in the top left of your screen and click the view stream on otter.ai live transcript in the dropdown. And then the live transcript will open in a separate browser window and you, you can follow along at your own pace. Uh, so that should be pretty cool. Let us know what you think about it. So thanks again for joining us today. And without further ado, I'll turn it over to Andrew. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, everybody. Welcome back, 30, number 32. These transcription things are just a total hoot. So this one, when, when, uh, whenever I, we'll see how it's doing it today. But when we are kind of testing it, anytime I said Trungpa, Trungpa is in Trungpa Rinpoche, it translated it as Trump. <laughs> Whoa, now there's, a, there's some impure perception. <laughs> Sorry, I can't help myself. <laughs> um, well, welcome. Not much to say. Thank goodness, my 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 fall teaching thing, um, with the exception of the ongoing, <coughs> excuse me, the ongoing Tibetan Book of the Dead class. We, we have over three hundred people in this class. So much fun. I'm doing it with a quite a good entity. I'm impressed with them. They're called Embodied Philosophy. Um, you might you can just ping that up, Andy, if you want. <clears throat> they're really pretty cool. They're they're a sharp group of people. And so I haven't I haven't taught. Um, on the book like this before. It's tough to do in four sessions, but um, we're having a great time with that. That's on Tuesdays. The ongoing book group, <coughs> book study group for Dreams of Light. I think we're on number seven or eight. That's super fun for me uh, because again, I don't have to prepare. Yay! <laughs> I just show up and read the text and do what's called an auto commentary. But it's kind of cool because, um, you know, I wrote that book four years ago even though it was just published this year. So my, my you know, ideas are, have changed, things have changed. And so I'm, I'm always adding um, stuff. So that's kind of fun. Also introducing a brand new practice um, at the request of some participants that we're working with pretty much on a weekly basis. So that's kind of cool. Um, outside of that, I've got nothing coming up. Yay. Nothing until who knows when, January, February, um, which is great because I'm a little pooped. But I did want to say, look what I got. Yay. Can you see it? My latest book. It's cool. Remember, it's all about me. The Lucid Dreaming Workbook, a step-by-step -step guide to mastering your dream life. Oh, I love what they say here. I, I literally just got this like five, six days ago. The first thing, explore or oh, experience unexplored passions. <laughs> that just totally cracks me up. I mean, that's why this Lucid Dreaming thing sells, right? If you haven't yet experienced unexplored passions, discover the richness of your inner world. <laughs> I 
learn from your subconscious. It's your unconscious, boo-boo. Develop your talents while asleep. Go beyond the bounds of your waking life. Cool. I, I didn't want to do this book initially, um, but it's with Harbinger Press. They're cool. They have a tremendous outreach. And after getting past my resistance, the reason I did it is it's a workbook. I've never done a workbook before. And at first, I was like, oh, I just don't want to do this. But as I went through it, um, I kind of got into it. Um, in terms of like, you know, hey, here's some really interesting exercises we can do. And so anyway, there it is, just came out. I'm planning on selling at least a million copies. <laughs> so that's kind of cool, two books in one year. I do not recommend writing two books at the same time. I'm never gonna do that again, especially when they're so different. Dreams of Light, my deepest dive yet, most advanced yet, and then Lucid Dreaming workbook, which is it's great but it's a, it's a, a complete prequel. So on the total other end of the spectrum, um, basically, you know, entry level stuff. So dancing between those two as a writer was like, I not easy. So I do not recommend doing that. Uh, we're in another Bardo, right? We, we have been in one Bardo starting with COVID. And since the post-election, we're in a Bardo within the Bardo. Um, who knows what's going to happen at this point? It's it's kind of amazing, right? Talk about groundlessness. Uh, I won't get involved in the whole political thing. That's not my rant, a riff here. But yeah, uh, Bardo within a Bardo. Um, I wanted to share actually uh, uh, just one or two things. I'm not going to be talking too much like with new material. Again, mostly what we do here is just this is an opportunity for you all to have uh Q&A and um, offerings and stuff. And so I got one question to read from Anisha that came in and then we open it up for you. But I did want to share, yeah, I just finished doing this, my annual deep dive lucid dreaming program that I usually do on site in the desert in Sedona. And uh, first time I did it um, online, two, three day weekends. And, and I tell you, it worked out a lot better than I anticipated. Um, and what happens every single time I do one of these things. Cause again, I live and breathe this stuff, you know, I mean, I'm constantly reading stuff and riffing and teaching, but when I am teaching a program, I'm really into this stuff big time. And just like my friend, Stephen LaBerge, you know, when he was writing his PhD dissertation at Stanford on this topic, he was just absolutely soaking in it every single night he was having a lucid dream. And that's pretty much what happens to me when, <clears throat> I mean, I have them pretty regularly anyway, cause I work on them so much. But when I ramp things up for these programs, I have these puppies like pretty much all the time. And it's really, really fun. Um, some of them are just kind of the normal um, kind of standard lucid dream, but I had a couple unique ones. And I wanna share a little bit about one I had um, that was original. And what happened in this dream, the content isn't that terribly important. I, I woke up in the dream and as often is the case, I, um, will just enjoy myself in the dream for a little while, just have a little joy ride, literally often just fly. Just, I love, love to fly in my dreams. And then usually, you know, okay, been enough fun of that vacation, let's, let's do a little work. And then I do some dream yoga practice. That's my usual dream. This one was a little bit different. This, this one was kind of a hybridization dream, which I hadn't really had before, which was, um, you know, people often, say, in fact, there's some criticism. I think it's a little bit misinformed that 
you know, lucid dreams aren't all that great because they somehow hamper the natural flow and expression of the unconscious mind. I, I, I just don't agree with that. Um, but anyway, what made this dream interesting is it was really the first one I had, and I've had thousands, where, where two tracks of, of the spectrum of a dream practice were taking place. One was the dream was actually, you know, teaching dream. It was, it was like a, a, a dream of interpretation. In other words, there was some real content coming in on this dream. And I'm not sure, I can't say if somehow I um, intuited that, that may be possible. In other words, I woke up um, into the dream and there was this kind of ongoing narrative that, that I realized was, hey, wait a second, this is, there's a little message here for me. And, and so what I did was I, I was completely lucid in what, in what was what's called a witnessing dream or what my bud Ken Wilbur talks about is Pell, Pell lucidity, P-E-L-L-U-C-I-D, Pell lucid dream, same thing, where you're lucid, but you just watch. And, that, and that's why the, the criticism that it somehow flows interrupts the expression of the unconscious mind is just bunk. But what was happening is I was, I was running these two kind of tracks. On one level, there was this dream interpretation thing, and I didn't want to, up to interrupt that. It was like, whoa, this is, this is some kind of teaching message. And as one of those dreams I woke up and wrote down and dated and labeled. Um, and then there were a few instances within the dream where I actually would participate, where I would, would you know, like engage a little bit. And I've never had a dream like that before, this kind of hybridized dream where it was a, a lucid dream where I watched it as a pure interpretation. In other words, I'm not gonna mess with this. There's some something coming in. Um, and yet there were a few instances where I could say, hey, wait a second, I can say something or do something here. And that was kind of exciting for me. Um, I hadn't had that experience before. Um, maybe you have. So I thought that was kind of cool. But anyway, um, I think that's one of the things to share about dreams. In fact, we, we had a big marketing call with the Harvard New Press people just this morning. And in kind of working the, the pavement on this marketing thing, um, in conjunction with what I just said, one of the really cool things about dreams is every, obviously everybody dreams, whether you recognize it or not. I mean, there are extremely rare neurological conditions where people don't dream. When people say they don't dream, they just don't remember their dreams, 99.999% of the time. So everybody dreams. And therefore, with some practice, everybody can have a lucid dream. And then obviously within that spectrum, and this is, this is one of the unique aspects of this, this new book, is that I, a first time ever, devote um, a number of chapters at the beginning purely to the benefits of lucid dreaming. And the more research I do, the more experience I have. See, like if I had, if I had this dream prior, I would have entered this. Um, the more I do it, the more the benefits unfold. And, and so just this morning, we're pinging all these different magazines and places where we could pitch this idea and say, hey, you know, did you realize as an athlete, you can do this in your dream? As a dream interpreter, as a shaman, as a, a meditator, as a psychologist, did you realize you could do all these things with your dreams? <clears throat> and so th that, that's really one of the highlights of this particular thing that's gonna be released on December 1st. Um, and again, you know, it's like the more I do it, the more I discover, the more I see. It, it really, it, it's amazing the scope of what you can do with the dreaming mind. You know, that re unique hybridized state in another sense where the unconscious mind 
meets the conscious mind directly. I mean, virtually no other opportunity. Um, so anyway, that's all I wanted to share. I'm, I'm trying to keep it a little bit lighter, a little bit shorter. Um, and so at this point, I'm going to open it up. I got to do a little bit of a hard stop today at um, on the hour, two o'clock my time. But I do want to read this question from Anisha. And then it, then we open it up to you all. So cue in your questions, offerings, challenges, jokes. If you have a joke that you can share, um, more, more than happy to accommodate your joke. So this is uh, from Anisha. I, I've been desiring a lucid healing dream. Oh yeah, okay. Um, I've been desiring a lucid healing dream. And last night I had a second lucid uh, dream related to this intention. I closed my dream eyes and said some words such as I am healed and I am loved. Paren sounds corny, I know. No, it doesn't, not at all. But I felt a wave of energy sweep through my body when I said it. I was without words for a while, for, for a while lucid, <clears throat> not knowing what else to say. Would Andrew share a chant that I can use related to this desire. I desire to say a heartfelt chant for personal and societal healing, healing of our world, earth, and environment. Any suggestions? Oh man, first of all, that's really beautiful, Anisha. Good for you. That's super cool. Good for you. And and you know, a couple of comments. Um, there's some really, really interesting data. Mostly at this point, somewhat anecdotal, but um, you know, maybe we can start collecting some data on this where what you do in the dream can actually affect your body. Oh, this just reminded me. I had another lucid dream. Anisha, I'll, I'll, I promise I'll come back. But I had another really cool lucid dream I wanted to share. And this was also brand new. This happened um, a little bit before the one I just shared. This one was actually really interesting to me. <clears throat> I, I had uh, <clears throat> um, I have this kind of chronic um, pain in my lower back, my QL, my quadratus laborum for, from skiing. I used to really be a big time um, bump skier. I had this kind of chronic back pain and my golf game um, exacerbates it. And so um, it's been acting up lately. And so what happened what, about two weeks ago is I woke up, I was having a really great lucid dream. That's what it was. Yeah. I, I was in the desert. I was having a really great, and I mean, borderline hyperlucid, really long, I mean, like 45 minutes plus a lucid dream, doing just doing all, all the stages of dream yoga all over the place. It was so great. And then what happened, two things happened, totally connected to this, Anisha. And then I, I promise I'll answer your question. Um, I woke up because my back was hurting and I had to pee. And it was like, no, no, I don't want to wake up. I want to stay in the dream. I don't, I don't want to wake up. So I did something I've never done before. I did. I, I went, I went into my dream body. So I popped out. So I'm in a hypnopompic space, you know, cause I was woken up by my, my bladder being um, acting up and my back hurting. And so I did two things. I said, okay, I'm going to work on this in my dream. So I closed my eyes and went back into the dream. I directed my mind directly to my QL in my dream body. And I, I envisioned this QL, um, you know, relaxing, opening, expanding, like I do with my yoga starches, because that, that's what I do to, to deal with it. Um, the good news is I've seen a bunch of PT people and when it acts up, I can just do a couple moves and it opens. And so I did those moves. I did them in my dream body. 
And I, I directed my mind into my QL and, and it was just like exactly all, like Anisha was sending healing, open, relax. My back pain went away. It was awesome. It was really like, whoa, this is cool. And then, okay, issue number one done. Now we got this bladder thing. Oh, this is a bigger problem. I shouldn't have drank that pitcher of beer before I went to bed. <laughs> just kidding. I actually usually go to sleep dehydrated because I hate getting up because of this thing. Gee, maybe that's why I had those kidney stones. I mean, what an idiot. And so um, then I had to deal with this bladder thing. So I, I said, I was actually quite encouraged. It was like, oh my gosh, my, my, I, I fixed my back in my dream. And I said, okay, we got to deal with this bladder thing. How are we going to do that? So I, I went in and I know a little bit about anatomy. Um, and so I visualized my bladder. I sent healing love. <laughs> so Anisha, you think your stuff is weird? <laughs> This is really weird. So I said healing love to my bladder and I visualized it. Um, uh, I imagined it again, generation stage type practice. I imagined my bladder, you know, just relaxing and opening so we could, you know, just like hold more. And oh my gosh, it worked. So then I was able to go back into my dream, um, extended my lucid dream for at least a half an hour um, and, and, and had these two kind of physical benefits behind it. That was, that was a big one for me. That was actually pretty cool. So Anisha, what you can do here, first of all, thank you for sharing. You can create your own. And, and I, I, when I was in my really long retreat, I did this, uh, especially at the very end, when I was about to leave this amazing life-changing event, I wrote my own aspirations. I wrote my own chants. And um, I recommend you do it. I, I don't need to give you one of these things. You, you come up with it yourself. Use your words, use your passion. There's, there's only, I mean, a few tiny little guidelines. One is heartfelt, you know, really just like what you're sharing. Second is traditionally, usually when an aspiration is um, recited, what you're calling a chant, we would call an aspiration, aspiration for healing, for the world, for the environment. First of all, boy, does it need it or what? Oh, oh, wait. Oh, my gosh. Here's another. This stuff is amazing. Another dream came to mind, really. I'll come back to you, Anisha, I promise. <laughs> I almost forgot. About, oh, it was the same dream. Oh, my gosh. It's coming back to me now. Okay. So, okay. This is hysterical. Are you with me? So, back, back to the dream. I just remembered this. Back to the dream. So, I, I, I took care of my back. <laughs> I took care of my bladder. And then... Um, then another, you know, I just felt, I felt so empowered. I really did. It was like, man, I'm, this is like, I'm omnipotent, right? I can do anything. <laughs> so what I did was I actually beamed, I sent, I, this is no kidding. Um, it's hysterical. I sent my mind directly into the White House. I'm not kidding. And I beamed into Agent Orange. Sorry, I don't mean to offend anybody. Um, I, I, I beamed into number 45. I beamed into his, into his mind um, from, you know, I was on the West Coast. It was like four, 3,000 miles away. <laughs> Space and time doesn't exist in this dimension. I beamed into his mind. I tried a couple things. It was like, again, this was just before the election. I beamed into his mind almost like, like voodoo. This is like dream yoga voodoo. <laughs> it was like, um, I will resign for the benefit of the country. I'm not kidding. 
And so I did this for like, I did this for like, I don't know how long, five or 10 minutes. It was like, you know, I felt so good about what I was doing with my body. Um, so when you said this healed the world, that's when it came back to my mind. So I'm beaming into the White House. Um, they need to change the name of that, by the way. That's not even PC anymore. The White House is that like revelatory is politically incorrect. Um, so I beamed into Agent Orange, into uh, number 45. I will resign. <laughs> For the benefit of the world, I will resign for the benefit of all sentient beings. I will resign for the benefit of the fish. For the you, you get it, right? And so I'm, I'm really sending all this, right? And then I figured, okay, I have no idea if this is going to work. So I said, I got to ramp it up. And so I ramped it up. And I said, oh my gosh, he's not going to listen to that. I have to beam it in and tell him that it's coming from God. So I beamed, I went back, I went back in and I, and this time I said, you know, like, like, you know, Colbert, when he, Stephen Colbert does this really ridiculous thing where Jesus, you know, God comes on. Have you ever seen it? It's so funny. Big bearded guy with his big kind of Charlton Heston godlike voice. So I, 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 I took on this form <laughs> in this Charlton Heston voice. And now it was a command from God. You will resign for the benefit of the world. Oh my gosh, it was so hysterical. But honestly, when I did it, I was so serious. I mean, I was just like, we have to do this. So who knows? Okay, I have to I have to pause. Back to Anisha's very sensitive, lovely question and my ridiculous, goofy comments. So Anisha, what you do here is, and again, I did this in my retreat, is you formulate it in an aspiration. And, and the only rule outside of really feeling it with your heart is, is, is really writing it down and saying something like, may I whatever for the benefit of this world, may I attain lucidity and the power of healing for the benefit of the environment, may I whatever. And, and, and so that is a kind of traditional, the may I thing. And then that creates this, this um, it's not really a, a Dharani, which is a long mantra. It really is, like you said, just a, a chant. So there's no reason you can't create your own short liturgy. Um, play with it, write with it as a poem, um, something, you know, if you're a writer, just, just uh, make something up, literally. It has a whole lot more power <clears throat> than if I was to just come up with something and, and say, do this. Just feel from your heart what feels right and speak from that space. Uh, Pema Chodron is a huge fan of, of these aspirations, by the way. She really grooves on them. Um, and honestly, you know, every single teaching I've attended by Buddhist, um, you know, masters, they always do two things. They start the teaching session with an aspiration. You know, may we engage in this teaching session um, for the benefit of all sentient beings. I do that, I'm not kidding, every single time I sit down to write, um, uh, you know, every morning I spend three, four hours doing research and writing. I, I do a little aspiration, I just made it up. Every time I sit down before my computer, I put my, that's the other thing with this aspiration, if it speaks to you, put your hands in Anjali, prayer mudra over your heart and really feel it. And so every day before I write, I make an aspiration. May this, what may I do, what I'm doing here be a benefit to others. And then close the session, um, dedication of merit. Um, whatever I have done in my dream work, whatever I have done for this session, this day, whatever, 
I do for the benefit of others. And it, it's, it's a wonderful thing to do because first of all, it will um, start to get you more and more out of yourself and doing what you do for the benefit of others. And so, you know, really dedicate your exercise for the benefit of all beings, dedicate whatever for the benefit of all beings. So I think you get the idea, Anisha, touch into your own heart. Um, it feels right, put your hands in this prayer mudra and then just come up with your own liturgy. That has a whole lot more power than anything I could tell you. So and thank you for um, enduring my crazy dream and, and, and the stuff that I tell you. This long dream, the same thing, you know, the, the back, the bladder, and then the White House all happened in this one dream, which lasted like an hour and a half. It was awesome. <laughs> Can't take credit for anything that happened, but you know, you never know. <laughs> okay, Tim. From Tim, and then we'll open it up to you. Uh, I really envy your ability to have lucid dreams so frequently. Hey, Tim, nothing special, man. Those of you who know me, you realize I'm just Joe Schmo Schmuck. I am not special. Trust me. Trust me. But I have one quality, and that is I'm not afraid of work. I'm not afraid of discipline. I'm not afraid of leaning into things. I work hard. And um, for 40 some years, I, you know, th there's one reason I have lucid dreams all the time is because I work at it all the time. It's really simple, basic physics, causality, karma. So thank you for the kind words, but it's just because I, I do this stuff all the time. Is there any major factor that you can think that, yeah, there you go, that accounts for that. Yeah, just that. That, that I, I do my practices around it. I do induction things. I, I mean, I just work with it all the time. I soak in it. I mean, I, I read it. I, I'm, everything that's out there, I read. I live, breathe it. And the result is what is found now is found then. I do my meditations. Um, lucidity is, is the lucid dreams are basically the fruition of a lucid relationship to the contents of your mind. And so every meditation I do cultivates that. So totally for sure. I have them too, lucid dreams, but too infrequently, although I am trying regularly to intend them. <clears throat> they just seem to come of their own accord about every two months. Yeah, um, and again, uh, because it's all about me, haha. lots about that in this book. Um, also, Tim, if you're a member of nightclub, again, um, the interview I did with Daniel Love, the interview I did with Claire Johnson, the interview I do with Robert Wagner, Charlie Morley, every major hitter, I ask them exactly these types of questions. So, you know, you just keep at it, like the Dalai Lama says, of anything of value, never give up, never give up. So you just keep going, you keep doing it. Eventually the, the tide of bad habits, bad karma, so to speak, non-lucid karma, you turn that tide, um, and sooner or later, through the pure force of, of physics, really mechanics, cause and effect, you'll start having them. Um, and then you have all these other things to support it. So really, number one most important thing, um, it just takes time, man. Um, there's so many forces of the dark side working against us here. And so therefore, levity, humor, perseverance, determination, what makes advanced lucid dreamers advanced and advance is they never give up. They just never, ever give up, never give up. Okay, so at this point, we can open it up to anybody. So questions, comments, jokes. By the way, I'm also sleeping better. Have you noticed this? 
I'm actually sleeping better since last week. So anyway, um, please, more than welcome to um, pass something on, so. All right, uh, let's, let's bring in uh, Marianne first and then Erica Kay. should be asking you to unmute Marianne. Do you see that? Yes, I think now it works. Okay. Hello. Well, first of all, thank you so much uh, for all your, your dreams. I'm really in awe hearing all that, honestly. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm calling in from Munich, from Germany, and I- Oh, awesome. Oh, and tell me your name again. Marianne. Marianne, Marianne. Yeah, so Whoa. I- yeah, I recently started to engage in dreaming and also wanting to learn about lucid dreaming. And I also have your book here, which I'm oh, reading. Oh, you're so kind. Thank <laughs> yeah. you. And um, yeah, so I, my question, oh, and I, I had my first lucid dream and I'm totally, yay. <laughs> Isn't it awesome? Isn't it just like the coolest thing? Good for you. So yeah, like, it, how was, it was not that spectacular. It was just, oh, I'm walking through glass, like, glass glass ceilings or glass uh, windows oh that's interesting i can't do that like usually there you go there oh you this go. must be a lucid dream that's oh it. that's, that's it. interesting i just keep on doing that and oh. then i was totally overwhelmed because i couldn't decide because i had so many options what i could do and i was like right. what right. yeah good for you how long ago was that um this was two weeks ago good for you yeah. cool and very cool very cool. Yeah, for me, it was really difficult to remember my dreams, but now I started to write a journal and yep. I'm putting yep. a lot of work in just what you said. And but my question, um, the question I have is uh, slightly different because uh, I think it was last year when I made a kind of experience I would call like um, bathing in emptiness. And it was just going into, well, it was a shamanic journey and also with kind of shamanic medicine. And basically I came back and was totally frustrated because I thought like, well, that's it. I mean, that's it. There's nothing, there's nothing there. And, but what happened afterwards, I was looking at the world and everything seemed to be an illusion for me. Oh, so it was oh, a really um, very strange feeling. I was looking at chairs, at the trees and I was like, wow, this is, I can see it, but it's it's not there, is it? It's, yeah. I, it was really, really strange. Yeah. And now, when I started reading your book, I I also felt like, okay, um, this is really my ego is really struggling with all these concepts. And and uh, I just recently did a yoga nidra uh, oh, cool. training. And um, with Richard or with who? Um, it was here in Germany with a teacher. Um, right. Yeah. And uh, and I, I feel like I need to. Okay. So my question is, so what can I do to to stay stable like mentally stable because sure. sometimes like i i i mean i'm a single mom i have a small child i yeah there's something in my world i i need to do and if i think like everything is an illusion i can get like i mean i don't know what could right happen. yeah yeah really sensitive uh, wonderful and can i ask you mary yeah. are you connected with a, a, a meditative path or any kind of spiritual tradition or anything um, yeah, actually, I started when I was 18 and moved out. <laughs> One of the first books I bought was about Tibetan Buddhism and also about dream and sleep yoga. But back then, I thought like that's impossible to read for any human being. And I yeah. 
kind of um, put it aside. So I am, yeah. So like meditation um, okay. is on, yeah, I engage in meditation. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Really great comments and, and good for you. So, you know, you, you actually unearthed your own answers, but I'll just uh, reflect back to mm -hmm. you what your inner teacher is already telling you that, you know, we, we all exist. We don't, we, we don't exist and operate out of just one particular bandwidth of identity, right? We exist along a spectrum of consciousness. Part of us is really evolved. Part of our evolutionary tale, so to speak, is a little bit less evolved from, you know, from utterly selfish to utterly selfless, from dirt to divinity. And so, you know, we exist across the spectrum. And so when you have these types of experiences and you see the world as illusory and you have these like the lucid dreams and whatnot, that's more kind of upper bandwidth stuff. Um, and then when you have the, the slight unease, anxiety, maybe even panic and fear, that's a little bit like you mentioned, the ego, the devolutionary, that bandwidth of your identity is not necessarily so welcoming to these insights um, because it threatens the egoic fabric. It's, it threatens the egoic structure. And, and so just understanding that is super helpful, that view that when you engage in the sort of business daytime or nighttime, you're going to be um, really stretching um, towards these upper bandwidths and your lower, you know, your devolutionary caboose may sometimes rear its head and, and, and say things consciously or unconsciously like, oh, you, you know, you're going to lose your mind. You're going to go crazy. You're not going to be able to operate in the world. You're not smart enough. You're not good enough. You don't have time, blah, blah, blah. Super common. Um, unless you have clinical psychiatric um, psychological conditions like um, derealization disorders, depersonalization disorders, anything where you have um, kind of predispositions for these types of groundless experiences, um, short of that qualifier, these dreams are utterly completely safe and reality is utterly completely safe because your mind is safe. Your mind is good, reality is good. And so um, it's super important. I'll, I'll be a little bit more specific, but that view is really important um, that the nature of reality is, it's, is divine, it's good, it's pure, it's, it's divinity. And so just understanding that then gives you a little bit more courage to take the leap and, and just jump into reality because you know you're not jumping into psychosis, you're jumping into enlightenment. But um, from an egoic perspective, you know, that doesn't go over all that well. So understanding that is super important. Um, when you have those feelings of fear, one thing I can invite perhaps as a little investigation is perhaps notice when you first have that experience of, of the item being illusory, dreamlike, Next time it happens, um, perhaps notice and then even stay with um, Trump members say talk about his first thought, best thought using Ellen Ginsberg idea, but it's not thought. It's basically first um, um, take on that experience. If you do that, I promise you, you will, you will discover that that very first instant is actually, it's actually sacred. The, it's, mm. it's just divine. I mean, you're actually touching something very real. And then what you'll notice with just like thunderous rapidity, literally, it's almost like a lightning strike and then a thunderclap. The thunderclap is, in fact, the anxiety. The thunderclap is, in fact, a very, very fast 
kind of referencing to self. In other words, something along the lines of, hey, wait a second, what about me? Where do I fit into this world? What the heck is going on? And so therefore, if you can centrifuge those two things out, you will find yourself actually standing more with that initial first thought, literally mm -hmm. called direct valid cognition. You wanna stay with that openness and stay with that experience. And when you feel the contraction, realize it for what it is. That, that contraction is generative actually of the egoic structure. So it's not like ego um, somehow <clears throat> manifests um, that contraction. Ego is contraction. Mm -hmm. So in that very gesture of pulling away from it, you're actually generating the ego. And then guess what happens with that simultaneous um, generation is fear, anxiety, disquietude. So therefore you can then start to use your contraction is a really good thing. You can start to use your contraction in fear is like, hey, wait a second. I just experienced something really true. I just experienced something very real and my ego just doesn't wanna hear it. It's, it's a small death threat to ego. Um, so that's super helpful. Then, then the contraction actually becomes a blessing. Then you can actually use it. And then, uh, you know, eventually you'll also come to realize that you, you always have recourse to ego. Ego doesn't really exist to begin with. Ego is just a, an arrested form of development. You always have access to it. This is also really important. So it's not like you're going to assassinate the ego because there isn't one, right? There isn't one. There is no self-sense. There is no I. There is no ego. And so therefore, you're just punching through the facade. You're just punching through. That's the real illusion. This thing called ego, it doesn't exist. The very contraction that generates the fear, that actually also generates the ego. And so, you know, as, as Pema Chodron puts it, ego is just a funny way of looking at things. So you still have access to that funny way of looking at things when you want to relate to other people and connect to them, but you no longer identify with it. So, you know, the classic philosophical jingle is, transcends but includes. You transcend this limited form of development, but you include it. And so somewhere in there, you know, you'll find something that really works for you. But this, you know, um, Pema Chodron writes a lot about this. I write about it in my first book, book um, on fear, the, the book called The Power and the Pain. <clears throat> I write about it there because when, you know, when I did really long retreats, I, I thought for sure I was going to lose my mind. I thought for sure I was going to go crazy because my world was falling apart. And without, without <clears throat> proper understanding, that can be terrifying. With proper understanding, that's liberating. The path is one of deconstruction. <clears throat> the path is one of deconstruction. And ego will, you know, look what's happening in the White House. You know, this administration has, has been deconstructed. Is it going gently into that good night? No, it's not. It's not willing to you know, acknowledge this kind of um, death. And so if you understand that, <clears throat> then everything you experience becomes completely workable. And actually the, peer, the fear and anxiety <clears throat> becomes a really good thing. It actually shows you um, that you're coming up against the, the real truth. And the closer you get to the truth, the more ego kicks and screams because there's no room for ego in truth because ego is not truth. That's real fake news. Ego is real fake news. And so when you have these things, instead of freaking out, you can say literally, wow, this is awesome. This is really good. I'm getting close to the truth. I'm going to be a spiritual warrior. I'm going to stay open to this. And then you can explore it in all these little ways, touch into it. Um, and then it becomes, you know, it actually, I'm, and I'm not kidding here. These things far from becoming obstacles, you know, um, what one teacher once said, obstacles don't obstruct the path. They are the path. And if you relate to this, 
when you relate to obstacles properly, they accelerate your spiritual development. They don't retard it, they accelerate it because they're showing you precisely these, these PowerPoints that you can now take your spiritual acupuncture needle and go right into. So I, I could continue riffing on this for a long time, but I should probably let it go and let others come in. But I wanted to say a little bit more than normal because this is such a terrifically important topic. Use your fear, literally the word fear, etymologically, comes from a root meaning fair, F-A-R-E. Fear is the fair, the toll you have to, to pay to grow up. And so when your world becomes illusory and you feel like you're you know, falling apart, it's just your ego that's coming dismantled. Um, and you can, so, you can learn so much about your world and yourself by understanding and really examining these processes. You can actually start to see that. The very first instant of that experience is pure. It's mm -hmm. actually sacred. Stay with that. Yeah. The minute you contract and implode in that instant, you create the ego. And guess what happens with that instantaneous creation? The fear. Ego and fear are synonymous. Mm -hmm. And so therefore you realize, oh, there it is again. There it is again. There it is again. That process, there it is again. Uh, you can really start to learn from this. Um, so something like that, I think it could really help you. Thank you so much. Yeah, it okay. definitely helped me. Thank Terrific. you so much. Pleasant dreams. <laughs> I wish we had your president, I tell you. She is great. But anyway, I'm not, I'm not supposed to be political on these platforms. Sorry. Okay. Take care, dear. See you. Thanks, Marianne. All right. Next, we'll bring in Erica, followed by Flora and Kara. Hi. Hi. Good afternoon. And wherever Hello. that is. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Um, first of all, congratulations on the new workbook. Fantastic. Thanks. Thanks. Um, you know, when you were just saying first thought, best thought, um, you know, in, in music, in the recording industry, they, they really say first take, best take. Oh, nice. Oh, I like that. I just want, and, and it actually, it, I like uh, that. it's, um, you know, it really translates into the art sometimes, you know, when you muck around in it, but I've had a really interesting experience just watching you uh, today because there's some trippy thing going on with your plant. I know, I do, and, I, I design. Yeah, and I have just been, <laughs> I have just I'm here been. To mess, I'm here to mess with your mind and your world. I no, don't know, no, I mean. There's um, nothing going wrong. My, ask everybody else. Every, this, there's nothing going on with this plant. That's you. <laughs> well, well, first of all, it's, it's a, in my world, it, it looks like some, some far out sea anemone. And there's a sea cucumber that's dressed in your in your your shirt, and uh, and there's a white car that is is patrolling in the back, <laughs> and the experience I'm having is is like coming out of a dream, uh, and being in that um, what is that state? That, hypnopopic, um, yeah. No, not hypnopopic. Um, liminal. Liminal state. Yeah. yeah, where where I am, where you just that the the sort of the mind wants to jump in and just orient oneself. Yeah, no um, kidding. So that's to me, that's what's going on on here with your plant. But that's <laughs> I couldn't I could not say anything. But what I wanted to share and maybe ask is 
lately, I lost a dear friend, uh, oh, maybe about 15 years ago. Mm. She had a terrible cancer. She left behind a three-year-old and a six-year-old. Ah, wow. And she ultimately left New York City, moved up right near Donok um, Meditation Center in, in Connecticut. And uh, I did a poem for her. Um, and uh, the next day there was a, a rainbow, double rainbow. Oh. I mean, just oh. a brilliant rainbow. Oh, that's pretty cool. And there were some very high llamas, you know, in attendance, you know, when she was in the hospital. And anyway, um, uh, I, uh, she's on my, my website because, you know, she loved the product I made. And she had a very, very strong um, spirit. And uh, she visits me. We have these, she, in my dreams. And it's like, we're in the middle of, we're in the middle of a sandwich. Uh, and it's like, we're hanging out together. It's, it's almost as though the friendship is continuing. And, and she's really, really there. That's awesome. Um, and uh, so I guess I just wanted to say that. And then recently her sister has come on into the dream and her, who's still alive and her father who, who is dead, who is giving me stock tips. <laughs> so, I mean, it's kind of goofy and silly and I think you're setting the tone. I've never seen you quite this jolly. Yeah, I'm pretty goofy today. I'm a little giddy because, you know, there's a little bit of hope in the world. So, yeah, I'm a yes. little giddy. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, I'm kind of picking up on that. Right. So, um, so, I guess I just am curious of, um, you know, your thoughts about the, the dead sort of coming into dreams. And, yeah. and uh, you know, it's basically very positive. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. So, thanks for sharing, first of all. You know, death, death is the end of a body. It's not the end of a relationship. Um, and the infiltration of so-called dead, um, basically just transitioned entities is extremely common. <clears throat> and I've had many, many experiences like this, especially right after someone dies. Oh my gosh. Especially if I have a strong connection to them. Um, and so a couple things that are somewhat um, open questions for me is, is it in fact the case that they are somehow infiltrating um, my dream? Or is it more just my own memory somehow taking on a life in the dream? That's an open question for me. <clears throat> it could be either one. I don't think it fundamentally um, really matters. I think what matters is the phenomena itself and how we relate to it. And so, um, you know, I think, you know, what you, what you paint on there, Erica, is really one of the points for me is that if it, if it, it feels rich, it feels um, rewarding, it feels connecting, then um, celebrate that. Um, it, I, you didn't say whether you actively incubate or cultivate these or whether it happens somewhat serendipitously. I suppose that doesn't matter a great deal either. But what you share is not at all uncommon and it's just part of the beauty and the, you know, the mystery of mind um, that, yeah, temporarily, provisionally limited by this, this clunk of flesh here. But fundamentally, when it's set free, it is in fact set free. So I'm not sure where else you want me to go with this. You know, it can get a little bit metaphysical in terms of like, you know, how long can someone spend in a disembodied state before they take on form that, that whole sort of thing. 
But I think perhaps that to me, that's the most important thing of what you shared. Of what you shared, death is the end of a body. It's not the end of a relationship. You can, you can, uh, if the relationship actually wasn't so great, you can resolve um, dissonant issues with deceased people in your dreams, just as if you had to do complicated grief therapy and work with a the therapist. Because again, slightly sidebar issue. When you're working in therapy, the person you're having an issue um, with doesn't have to be there physically, right? Uh -huh. The body is rarely the issue. The relationship to that person, body, that's the issue. So you can work out issues with the mere phenomenal appearance of someone in your, in your dream. So that's just taking what you're saying and flipping it on the other side. That let's say perhaps you're having dreams of someone deceased that aren't so chipper, that aren't so feeling so great. Well, if you're lucid in those, you can actually do some types of therapeutic role play and, and, and speak. Again, you can resolve issues in a phenomenological way. You don't need to have the physical body there. And I, I've had some experiences along these lines as well, where, where some people died, I didn't get a chance to say and do what I really wanted to. I was able, I had some recurrent dreams that weren't so great. Some of them were lucid. I was able to engage in this sort of thing. And guess what? Those dreams just went away. So maybe I'll let that go for now, Erica. Um, I love these sorts of things because, you know, again, it just opens heart, mind to the wonder, mystery, and magic of the whole shebang. So thanks for sharing. Thanks. Thanks, Erica. Um, all right, next we'll bring in Flora and then Kara. And there's also a chat question queued up, Andrew. Okay. All right, take a look. <clears throat> Can you hear me? Yep. Oh, great. Hi. Hi. Um, hi. Uh, I'm Flora. I've um, I've enjoyed your three last books, and I'm currently taking the embodied philosophy course. Oh, which you're so kind. Is brilliant, and that I'm really enjoying. Um, I really liked the question and also your answer uh, to the uh, the German lady's earlier question. Hmm. Um, and I think, like so many others. Um, I have this awareness of oscillating between sort of like egoic moments of contraction um, where uh, I, I feel I can't open up to um, lucidity because I'm stuck in fear. Yeah. And somatically, that's very much a contraction for me. I, Absolutely. I, I'm a yoga person. <laughs> and then um, somatically, I've had in deep med meditative states, um, sort of letting go and sense of inner spaciousness and all of that. And these are sort of, you know, some people call those glimpses. I mean, you know, words are a bit clunky, but I think we all know what we're talking about here. And so I wish I lived there, but I, I live mostly um, with my ego. <laughs> um, and I've noted something that's been happening recently that is not that doesn't feel entirely um, egoic, but it is um, so perhaps not fear driven so much as a sort of um, quiet rage, dismay, horror at, um, I, I dare I say, emptiness, but mm -hmm. also um, reading, um, you know, the texts I've been reading in preparation for the, the other course, uh, this kind of I think horror is the word I'm yeah. really looking for. Oh yeah. About the like it's it's kind yeah. of hard no, for me it. to talk about it without getting no. really you know heated and emotional yeah. and and deeply yeah. upset about um, the bottomlessness of samsara and the this the the plight 
of so many souls and <laughs> you know i mean I, i'm sure you've heard this before and, and so my question is where do i go with that like how do i you know and i understand like some might just say well lean into it it's all beautiful but it isn't really i'm i'm feeling a lot of existential angst around and not again not this kind of egoic fear of oh no i'm gonna lose my body i'm gonna die that's okay this is, I'm, that's not where i am it's really much more existential and i think embedded in the very um existence of emptiness i don't know if that's the right word of saying the right way of saying it yeah oh my gosh so many um, amazing things here um well, a couple of things come to mind. Um, first of all, samsara does eventually bottom out. Samsara is not bottomless. Samsara does bottom out because it's not. And I realize that, but it's going to take a while. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's, here's the thing. Here's what's going to take a while. The exhaustion of the habituation is going to take a while. So what we need to understand, and again, this is again why the power of the view is so important, is, is literally um, the complete immediacy of nirvana, the complete immediacy of the awakened state. A little bit related to Marianne's questions about the very first moment is sacred, which means reality is sacred. Um, and so just understanding that is, is incredibly important because when we talk about reality, when we talk about um, contacting emptiness, it's the same thing. So it's a deeper understanding of, of this not so easy thing to understand emptiness. You know, what, what exactly is it? And so Oh my gosh, you know, um, to really dive into it is a colossally huge topic that, that is really worth the trouble to learn because, you know, emptiness is not um, nothingness. Emptiness is no thingness. Emptiness is fullness. And so yeah. what obviously what's being frightened here, maybe you can direct me a little bit more because the topic is so big, is that when you really tr truly deeply understand it and know it, you know, empty of self means full of other. And so the only reason emptiness becomes threatening is because again, it's referenced. And so this is what I invite you to look at is when you have that experience is just like with Marianne's question, Marianne's question is notice the lightning fast rapidity with which you contract against that, um, which mm. itself is generative of the horror that you're talking about. And horror is not, is not you know, um, I, I completely get where you're coming from. There are a couple things that you may want to look at that can give you some sense of this. Roberta, I think her name is, um, oh, what's her name? Roberta, something or other. She wrote, there's a book called The Experience of No Self. I recommend you read it. It's, it's a slightly quirky book, okay. 20, 20 years old, 25 years old, written by a Christian gal who basically in her language and her framework goes through the experience of the ego dissolution and talks in really gritty detail about how horrific it, it is, how, how horrific it was for her. I recommend you read it so you realize you're not alone. Um, and, and again, you know, the farther down we get to truth, the closer we get to truth, the more powerful and effective are the deterrents. So initially it's just a little bit irritating, unsettling, whatever. When you start to get really down to it, it, it can become quite horrific. Um, only again, from the egoic perspective, that's what creates the horror. The horror is not there. The horror, mm. it, um, you know, it's fundamentally when you experience emptiness fully, purely in that first moment, that's enlightenment. I mean, that's mm. synonymous with the enlightened state. 
But again, there's no, there's no, no room for personal identity in that space. It's, you know, ego cannot attend its own funeral, mm. as Trungpa Rinpoche put it. So you're, you're witnessing your own funeral. And therefore, it is horrible. Because for mm -hmm. ego, you know, in the language, if you're in the EP class, we'll be talking about that this coming week. Uh, dharmakaya, another synonym for emptiness is dharmakaya. That's also synonymous with um, enlightenment. It's also synonymous with death. So death is the dharmakaya. And so therefore we mm -hmm. have this kind of bipolar relationship to it, right? On one level, we, the more advanced part, want it more than anything because it's the enlightened state. It's reality. It's true, literally body of truth, dharmakaya. Mm -hmm. On another level, more than anything, we, we're terrified of it because it is death. But it's just death and of illusion. It's death. It's seeing through the facade of this thing called ego. Mm -hmm. So the thing to do is just spend more time with it, understand it, understand that underneath this entire fabric of your life, what constitutes the entirety of your life is a very sophisticated egoic avoidance strategy mm -hmm. to in fact avoid these harsh truths, which we, you know, we, this is why, and we'll talk about this on, on Wednesday. This is why we have a fear of death. Fear of death is a secondary and authentic fear. It's a, it's a fear that fundamentally of our inability to deal with the fact that we're dead right now, that we don't exist right now. Um, and so we repress it, we project it, we put it at arm's length, and we reify it as fear of the death. That's a secondary fear. The fundamental fear is the same. It's the fear of truth, the fear of emptiness. We just defer it. I'm not gonna deal with it now. I'm gonna deal with it when I die. Hence we reify and we're afraid of death. That's not fair to death. It's absolutely not fair to death. Death is neutral. So what you need to do is realize that's a projected repressed fear. It sublimates, it's, it percolates under everything you do. And everything you do is fundamentally a very sophisticated avoidance strategy to avoid these harshest of, of noble truths that you don't exist. That doesn't mean you don't appear. That doesn't mean ego has its relative status. But fundamentally, there's no such thing as easy ego. That's not so easy to hear. It's not so pleasant to feel. Trungpa Rinpoche writes about it beautifully in this extraordinary, um, I'm trying to find a reference for it. It's in the collected works where he wrote this stunning article with uh, Riggs and Shikpo about Bardos and fear where fundamentally paraphrasing it, he says, um, it's one of those stunning quotes from him where he fundamentally says that, that when we break away from reality, what gives birth to samsara and then therefore what feeds and sublimates in the entirety of samsara is in fact fear. Fear is the primary, primary um, emotion of samsara. Um, it's our inability. It is all born of ignorance. So uh, again, I have to let it go because there's just so much to say here. But between your, your question and her question, these are colossally important questions because they will reduce the entirety of your life to these foundational avoidance strategy tenets and principles yeah. and realize that, hey, if I'm going to really wake up psychologically and spiritually, I got I to gotta deal with this stuff, man. I can either deal with it on nature's non-negotiable, uncompromising terms when I die, then it's a real crap show. Um, or I can die now. I can, you know, titrate my experience and look at these harsh noble truths now. That's why there's so few people on the spiritual path. That's why there's so few people that continue with the spiritual path because you're walking a plank. You're walking a plank. And eventually the you that started the path has to die. Yeah. It has to. I shouldn't say it has to die because it's not there. It has to be seen through. So what are you you're basically walking the plank to walk through this ridiculous thing called ego? It's there for a purpose. It serves a biological evolutionary purpose, but eventually it retards evolution. 
And so, yeah, maybe I'll let it go for there, but these are colossally important topics. Thank you. Yeah, good stuff. Thank you. Maybe two more. <clears throat> we, can we can do the loop again next, next Thursday, but I got to get going here in a minute. So if there's two more people, that'd be great. Um, definitely. There's a chat question queued up for you if you want to take a look. Sure. Oh, for me? Yeah, for you. Where is it? In the doc. But where? Oh, uh, it's just not ho not highlighted from Crystal. Uh, can you read it while I try to find it? <laughs> oh, yeah, no problem. Sure. This is from Crystal. I don't really have many lucid dreams or astral projections these days, only a few times a month. But instead, I've been having some dreams in sequence, just like I live in a parallel universe. I would like to know what that is. Yeah, well, if you're having them twice a month, that's pretty good. That's well above average. Um, having dreams in sequence is not terribly unusual. Um, allegedly, even the father, <clears throat> again, it's not fair to him either, <clears throat> the father of um, dualistic philosophy, Rene Descartes, allegedly, you know, kind of developed his theories um, in over a series of three consecutive contiguous continuous dreams, night to night. He picked up day day two picked up from where day one ended. Day three picked off picked up from where day two ended. So you you know, these are not terribly uncommon. Um, I can't tell you with authority. Um, what's actually going on? I just don't know um, whether it's some, something something as basic as this kind of just continue um, kind of manifestation of your own mind, or whether in fact you are somehow alighting onto some realm. Um, that's possible. You know, you you can actually do. You mentioned astral travel, so maybe you do these kind of OBE type things. You can actually um, in the dream yoga stage. Seven is actually about cultivating this, where you can go to Sakavati, you can go to these, these other dimensions with lucidity. And therefore, because there's some kind of collective matrix in those dimensions, they're just as real or unreal as this, it is possible that you're landing in some dimension. I can't say for sure. Um, um, I have to tag along with you. <laughs> and I, I'm not very good at these kind of joint lucid dreams. So I, I you know, maybe send me not a Facebook invite or a Skype invite, send me an invite in your dreams and maybe I can tag along and then I can say, hmm, I'll be a dream anthropologist, you know? I'll observe and say, oh yes, you know, she has landed in Sukhavati. Tongue and cheek aside, pardon the humor. Um, first of all, I mean, just really good for you. That's just awesome. Twice a month, way above the standard um, average, awesome. Where you're actually going, whether it's, it's purely um, phenomenological, just your mind, <clears throat> maybe. Whether you're actually landing in so-called ontological dimension, maybe. Um, my reality is big enough to accommodate both of those. I would just celebrate it, delight in it, and then just see where it takes you. And maybe you can get, you know, I've, I've been in these, I've had these kind of dreams before, literally, um, where I just ask, I, I, there will be a character Either, either in the dream or in the whatever the landscape is. And I had one dream, this was a big deal dream for me 20 years ago, super powerful lucid dream. And it was just weird. I mean, it was weird. And my lucidity was strong. So it was like, why is this so weird? My lucidity is so strong. Because usually when they're my lucidity is strong, they're not weird. And finally, there was, there was a character in the dream and I asked him, I said, where am I? 
And, and just like a passenger, somebody walking down the street when you're in a city or something, he goes, oh, he said, oh, you're in the Bardos. And I was like, whoa, whoa. You know, that was, that was a pretty important dream for me because it felt something like that. It felt like this is not my mind personally. I'm somewhere um, different. Um, and then when I asked, that was the answer given. True? I don't know. But it clicked. So next time you have that experience, ask ask or actually maybe even incubate a dream to solve this issue you know incubate a dream may i have a dream where this answer can be resolved but in short very cool good for you all right maybe one more and then i got to run for today all right uh let's bring in judith take us home hi andrew hi andrew i mean um gosh i i just love all these questions they're so helpful aren't they they really are um, so I've been really um, looking at life, you know, as an illusion and the nouns, particularly as an illusion that you talked about the other day. Okay. Um, there is something I expected when you see the world as a dream that it would lose, it would lose something. But in fact, what I'm expect, what I'm experiencing is there's a certain kind of magic in it and I'm and I don't know why I I don't know whether this is something that should happen or or whether I'm making it into something that it isn't so um I got just a tiny bit distracted um I apologize yeah. just just rewind the loop for maybe 30 seconds well, well you, you know when I look at the world as an illusion or a dream um I expected to see this kind of loss in a way, loss of the beauty of what's around me. But in fact, it was kind of, it, it has a magical feeling. Absolutely. To okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yes. The only thing you're losing is, is your, your stains. <laughs> so, so a, a little bit, it's interesting, this kind of common narrative that's coming up, um, starting with the very first question is that, you know, like, we're cleansing the doors of perception here. And so when you see the world as it is, we append the label illus illusory to that. And therefore, because we associate that word with somehow less real, we think somehow that experience will be less real. But no, it's more real because you're more in contact with reality. <clears throat> and so what you're saying is absolutely my experience. You know, when you touch into reality, when it's free from your coloring book, from your hopes, your expectations, your fears, all the stuff that you project, it comes alive. It, 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 it's literally lighter in both senses. It sometimes it glows, it shimmers. You see the actual, the, the fabric of reality is in fact made of light. And so literally it, it appears um, more real because it's no longer diluted in one level with distractions. It's no longer um, stained by all our imputations, projections, hopes, and fears. And so therefore, you know, that's what's going to keep you wanting to go back for more and more because it's so real, it's so joyful, it's so celebratory, it's so utterly delightful. It's like, I want more of that. So when, you know, when, when you say something is illusion, it doesn't make it less real. It's just challenging the status of your previous reality. And therefore, in fact, it, it comes alive in exactly the way you're saying. So that just verifies to me that what you're onto is definitely the right thing. And it will just continue to be that way, where it just becomes more and more magical. It's called drala in Tibetan. You meet the dralas, you meet the magic of the phenomenal world. My dear friend, Jeremy Hayward, a physicist, wrote a beautiful book 
probably out of print by now, they're called Ordinary Magic. Trungpa Pache talked tremendously, especially in the Shambhala teaching, Sacred Path of the Warrior, Ordinary Magic. Uh, it's more than just a metaphor. It's really very magical. And so you're just, you're just touching, not just, you're touching into reality and it's magical. So carry on. Yeah, it's fleeting at the moment. They all are, they all are. The yeah. clouds briefly part and then they come back together. You, you know, those are glimpses, glimpses, glimpses. Eventually the glimpses stabilize into a gaze. That's what constitutes the actual path. Glimpses more frequently, they last longer, they're clearer, and eventually this is, you know, if you're Buddhist, this is the journey through the boomies, right? Yeah. It happens more and more and more and more and more. And so the glimpses just get more and more stable. Right, thank okay. you. Great. Thank you. Thanks everybody, I gotta run for today. Um, so nice, the group's terrific questions as usual, so enjoy it. Um, see you next Thursday, okay? Pleasant dreams.